Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Dayspring Church! Good morning! He is risen! Amen! Happy Easter! Hey, I want to welcome everybody to Dayspring especially if you're visiting us today for the first time, if uh, you're here because either you got a mailer and you live around here or you got somebody that comes here and they invited you, thank you, thank you for being with us. We want you to feel at home. We want you to know that you're in a safe place, okay? We're not gonna make you eat, give, or do anything funny. Um, we, we trust that God is gonna speak to you and that you're gonna enjoy yourself. It's been awesome already, hasn't it? Amen. So when you walked in, you should have gotten a bulletin. If you didn't get one, you can raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. I want to welcome those that are watching us online as well as those in the chapel. We know there's a good number of you that are in the chapel. They gave up their seats so that we can host our guests. So uh, thank you to those of you that are in the chapel. Those of you that are online, thank you for joining us. Do us a favor. If this is a blessing to you, would you share it? Just share that button. Somebody else will be blessed. Somebody else will be touched. Amen. We want you to feel at home. Let's go before the Lord and uh, we'll jump into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much because about 2,000 years ago, you died, but you didn't stay dead. You died so that we would be forgiven. But you rose, you came back to life so that we could come back to life. And Lord, we are breathing, but some of us need life in our existence. And this morning, that is what you want to do. So Lord, we glorify you, we thank you, and we say, speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, the other day... um, Uh, We typically come together as a family to church, but the other day I had to come early, and uh, so I brought Nathan with me. Nathan is my four-year-old son. I got three kids, two girls, one boy, and the little one wanted to come with me. And, uh, you know, we came, and uh, I was opening up doors. I was unlocking things, and uh, out of nowhere, he stops me, and Nathan says the darnest things, you know? This guy, I don't know where he gets ideas from. Today in the morning, we were watching um, an online service, And the pastor was preaching. And out of nowhere, Nathan goes, Dad, he just said a bad word. I was like, what? He said, yeah, he just said a bad word. And I said, what bad word? And he said, the one that you don't want me to say. And about a few weeks ago, I had I, we, we had punished him a week with no Nintendo Switch because he was saying the word stupid a lot. And we're like, that's a bad word. You don't say it. But he heard the preacher say it. And he was like, he said a bad word. So Nathan says the darnest things, right? So we're here at church and we're, I'm unlocking doors and all of that. And out of nowhere, he goes, Dad, are you the boss here? And I said, no, Jesus is the boss. And he said, but after Jesus, are you the boss? And I said, well, yeah, I guess I could be the the boss after that. And he said, can I be the boss? 
And I said, well, one day if the Lord calls you, yeah, you could be the boss. And he said, can I have the church keys? And he wanted the keys to be able to open the church. Because somehow to him, keys signified importance, signified power, signified authority. Now, why do I tell you that story? Well, because Jesus has keys that he wants to give to you. And today on this Easter Sunday, we are beginning a series. And if you don't know what a series is, is, is we just take a topic and we talk about it for a couple of weeks. And uh, we're starting today a series called The Keys of the Kingdom. And that's because Jesus has keys that he wants to give to you. Can I prove that to you? In your bulletin, there's an outline. If you will pull that out, look at what Matthew 19, uh, 16, 19 says. It'll also be up here in the screens. But look at what Jesus said. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, he says, and I will give you the what? The keys of what? To your house? No, to the kingdom. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Look at this. This is so awesome. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Pastor Nestor, what do you mean by keys? What is this idea that Jesus has keys that he wants to give to us? What do keys mean? Well, meaning of things is found in their purpose. If you want to know the meaning of something, you got to know what its purpose is, what it was meant to be. For example, here, I have the keys to my car. These keys can start my car. Keys have the ability to create movement, to ignite something that is stopped or still or stuck. The other keys to my car are so awesome that if I have them with me, all I have to do is touch the, the, door, the door and it automatically unlocks. Keys have that power. Now, on, on, I have this other set of keys and these are the keys that Nathan was referring to. And my favorite part of it is this little uh, keychain right here of the Dodgers that are going to win the World Series this year. Um, but the other thing that keys do is that they grant access. When you have a key, you can open a locked door and they grant access, they welcome, but they also protect because when you don't want to allow somebody in, you can close and it protects from things that you don't want in. So when Jesus says, I have keys that I want to give you, he's talking about privileges. He's talking about authority. He's talking about power that he wants to give to us. What for? You ready for this? He wants to give us this power, this authority, this access. He wants to do these things in our lives so that we can see great things happen in our lives and through our lives. God doesn't want your life to be a mere existence. He wants to give you power, authority, access, wisdom, direction, so that your life can be a life that not only experiences, but also produces amazing things. Now, this Easter Sunday is a perfect day to talk about the first key. And we're going to talk about a few keys. And I want to welcome you. I want to invite you to come back the next week to learn about the other keys that he also offers us. But today on Easter Sunday, it's the perfect Sunday to talk about the first key that Jesus wants to offer us. What key is that, Pastor Nestor? 
Well, that's the key of life. The first key that Jesus wants to give us is the key of life. Look at what he says in John 11, 25 and 26. Uh, his, His disciple John recorded the following words that Jesus said in his gospel. And he says, he says that Jesus said, he said, I am what? The resurrection and the life. Anyone, this is awesome, who believes in me will live. Check this out. Even after dying. Anyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Now, here's what you got to know. The resurrection is not just a historical event. Yes, today we remember, we celebrate. But the resurrection is not just a holiday. The resurrection is a person. And that person is Jesus. But the resurrection is not just a person. The resurrection is also an experience. It's an experience that still happens today. It's an experience that many of us in this room are in this room for that reason. That we experienced a resurrection in our lives because Jesus who is life and who has the key to life came into our lives. And see, because Jesus, yes, he died, but he resurrected and he's alive. He's able to offer us the key of life. And this key of life, he wants to give it to you. Here's why. Because he wants you to experience the life that God meant for you. I know some of you, you're upset at God. Because some horrible things have happened in your life. Some unfair things have happened in your life. And maybe you say, well, if God was truly God, this would have not had happened. Well, I want to very respectfully tell you that it wasn't God who brought the wrong in your, in your life. Because Jesus said that we have an enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And it has been the enemy who has brought evil, who has brought hurt, who has brought pain, who has brought a loss into our lives. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. So he can offer us life. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. And and this is what I want you to get this morning. God has gone through extreme measures to reach you. God has gone through an immense work, through an immense process to reach you and to reach me. In fact, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 40. Look at what he says. He says, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man. And the Son of Man is the title that Jesus embraced of himself. It is another way that he identified as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the chosen one. So Jesus says here about himself, he says, So will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and what? Three nights. Look at what Jesus says. He says, For just as Jonah was, so will I be. Now, here's a question. What does Jonah have to do with Easter? What does Jonah have anything to do with Easter? You are familiar with the account of Jonah, right? Why would Jesus refer to Jonah when he talks about his resurrection? Well, here's why. Because the the account of Jonah narrates the extreme measures that God went through to reach people he loved. 
In fact, let me tell you about it. The account of Jonah revolves not around Jonah, but around Nineveh. Nineveh was the town that was so wicked, that was so evil, that was so corrupt, that was so full of evil and violence. It was an infamous town. It was a detestable town. And despite their condition, despite their evil and wickedness, God loved them and he wanted to reach them. And there we begin to see the kind of God that he is. That although here's a town of people who, who want nothing to do with God, who do all the opposite that God says, God is still goes through great lengths to reach them. So you know what God does? He calls Jonah and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them what I want, what I'm going to tell you to tell them. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Jonah was not willing. He was not very cooperative. If you were here Friday, we talked about how Jesus willingly went to the cross. Well, Jonah didn't want to go. You know what Jonah wanted? He wanted God to punish Nineveh. He knew their reputation. He knew what kind of people there were. And all Jonah wanted, he wanted God to give them justice. Have you ever felt like that about someone? Come on, we can be honest. Oh God, what? Just smite them right now, right? Now, here's a question. You think anybody's felt that way about you? Now, it gets interesting, right? Since so, so Jonah doesn't want to go, right? He's reluctant. He, he, he's not willing. So despite, listen to me, despite Nineveh's reputation and despite Jonah's refusal to go, God doesn't give up. He goes through great lengths to reach the people that he loves in Nineveh. So what is it that Jonah does? Well, the narrative tells us that he gets on a ship, but not towards Nineveh, but the opposite way. He says, not only do I want to go, but I'm going to go the opposite way. But you know what God does? Or better yet, you know what God doesn't do? He doesn't give up. He sends a storm, a storm that causes for the crew in the ship to toss Jonah out of the, out of the boat. And then God sends what? What did he send? What was it that God sent? Oh, I was hoping you would say well. The Bible doesn't say well. It says great fish. And God sends a great fish that swallows up Jonah. And listen, even in the belly of this big fish, Jonah's still wrestling with God. And you know what Jonah does? He says, all right, God, I'm going to go, but I want you to know that I'm not going to go. You know, you, you know what that, if you have kids, you know what that looks like. If you, when you were a teenager, you know what that looks like. Like your parents, no, we're going to church. Well, I want you to know that I'm going, but I'm not there. I'm physically there, but mentally I am watching the football game. That's how Jonah goes. Jonah goes very reluctantly. And you know what? He has such a bad attitude that this guy preaches the worst message ever. He doesn't prepare. He doesn't use any eloquence. He doesn't have a good presentation. He doesn't have a good attitude. He doesn't have a good tone of voice. He doesn't use any stories. He doesn't provide any hope. He just goes to Nineveh and he says, in 40 days, you will be destroyed. That's it. He doesn't even tell them why or if there's a chance for them. 
But, but, but here's what I want you to know. I don't want you to see Je- what Jonah's doing. I want you to see that God is not giving up on Nineveh. Yeah. And this guy just says, hey, in 40 days, y'all going to die. And I'm going to have a big old party to celebrate. But the, the narrative tells us that when the king of Nineveh heard the horrible, simple, unattractive message of Jonah, that he repented. And that not only did he repent, but he called everybody to repent. And he said, we're going to fast for 40 days to repent before the Lord. And not only the adults, the Bible says that everybody, even animals fasted for 40 days. And you know what God does? Because he loved these people, he forgave them. He forgave them. I mean, I wish, I wish I had time to tell you of the kind of things that these people did to their prisoners, to the people they conquered. It was horrible, detestable. We, we wouldn't be able to talk about it because we got little ones here. And it is these evil, wicked people that God did not give up on. And when they repented, God forgave them. In fact, Jonah got upset about that. He threw a tantrum. Did you know that? After they repented, he got so angry and so upset that he went pouting under a tree and he basically tells God, I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to forgive them. I knew you were going to have mercy on them. Well, here's the thing. Jesus is nothing like Jonah. He doesn't get upset when somebody who needs forgiveness comes to the Father to receive it. And here's what you got to know. God truly is a merciful God. In fact, the Bible tells us the following. It says that he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to die, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. And Jesus alludes to the narrative of Jonah to illustrate the extreme lengths that God went through to reach Nineveh. Now, here's where it gets good. God went through even greater extremes to reach you and to reach me. Because for Nineveh, he sent a prophet. But for you and for me, he sent his one and only son. Jesus left heaven, took on the form of a human being, lived a perfect sinless life, then was falsely accused. He was whipped, he was beaten, he was punched, he was ridiculed. And then he was put on a cross and he died an excruciating death. But he didn't stay dead. He fought death and defeated death and rose so that he could reach you and so that he could reach me. That's why Jesus says, hey, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, I am going to be in in the heart of the earth for three days. In other words, Jesus was going to defeat death so that he could resurrect and give you and me life. Yes, he died on a Friday, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. In fact, look at what Revelations 1, 17 and 18 says right there in your outlines. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold, listen to this, I hold the keys of the death and the grave. Jesus has authority and power over death. And he's able to offer us life 
because he defeated the grave and he defeated death. That's why Paul, Paul understood this. Paul, one of the followers of Jesus understood this. And that's why he wrote the following in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. Look at what he says. He says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But look at this. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and what? Death. Through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what you got to know. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Here's what you got to know. On Easter, Jesus offers us the key of life. And here's the question I got for you. Where, where do you need life? Maybe it's in a relationship. Maybe it's in your physical body. Maybe it's in your mental health. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your keys, with your kids. But where is it that you need life? Because Jesus is here today to tell you, I, have, I am the key of life and I want to give you life. In 2019, I went through what up to now has been one of the worst times in my life. I went through a horrible, dark time of depression. And during that time, I really thought I wasn't going to make it. I thought that my life was going to come to an end. And I had a lot of uh, suicidal ideations. I, 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 was, I just didn't want to live anymore. And the worst part is that not many people knew. But he knew. And to make a long story short... The only reason I'm standing today, literally, is because he is life. And when I felt like death, he gave me life. Now, here's what you got to know today. The key of life is knowing God. That's why he came to earth and he died and he rose. So that you would know him. Knowing God makes all the difference. Knowing God has great benefits. Knowing God is it's the most important thing in life. Knowing God brings the greatest changes. Some of you, your life changed when you got married. Some for good and some for bad. Some of you, your life changed when you had kids. Some for good, some for bad. But let me tell you, when, you, when Jesus comes into your life, when you get to know him, he does great things. Look at what Paul said about knowing God in Philippians 3.8. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain what? Christ. Why would Paul say that? And Paul was an educated, important person. Why would he say, hey, everything in life is meaningless when compared to the fact that we get to know God? Here's why. Because when you know God, he brings life into all of your life. He brings life into your marriage. He brings life into your mental health. He brings life into your body. He brings life into your family. He brings life into your career. He brings life because knowing God produces amazing, extraordinary benefits. In fact, I want to give you just three of them that I think we all need. Are you with me? Here they are. Let me give you three quick ones because I got to wrap this up. The more you know Jesus, here's the first benefit, the more you will love. 
The more you know Jesus, the more you will, you will love. We are in a time where we talk a lot about love, but we're not good at loving. Spouses walk away from each other. Parents walk away from their children. Family members walk away from their family. Because although we are fascinated with this idea of love, we don't know how to love. But the more you know him, the more you will love. Here's why. 1 John 4, 7 says the following. Love comes from who? From God. Anyone who loves is a child of God. And look at this. And knows God. You know why some of you have a hard time loving yourselves and loving others? Because you don't know God. Because if you knew God, you would know your value. Because if you knew God, he would give you the, the, his love would impact you to be able to love others. In fact, that's what John said in 1 John 4, 19. He says, we love each other because what? He first loved us. Love is the most powerful force in the world. The Bible says that love can conquer all things. Love revitalizes, love renews, love refreshes, love lives, love strengthens, love provides energy, love empowers, love makes a way. And when we know him, we will love better. So he gives us life so that we can love better. And here's the thing. Why is it that knowing God helps us to love better? Well, simple. Because we become like what, what we love. Did you know that? The things you love, you end up becoming like that. How many of you guys love your dogs? Some of you caught that, some of you didn't. You'll get it afterwards. But the more you love him, the more you love him, the more you're going to love yourself, love others. And check this out. When you love and you love like Christ loved you, you're gonna, your life is going to make an impact. Your life is going to be better. But here's the second benefit of knowing him. The second benefit is that the more we know him, the more freedom we will, we will experience. Not just will we love better, we'll experience more freedom. We live in America, right? The land of the brave and the land of the free. But we're enslaved. Many people today, they think they're free and they're not. They're enslaved to, to, to stress, to worry, to boredom, to bitterness, to guilt, to regret, to fatigue, to fear, to anxiety, to bad habits, to toxic thoughts, to destructive relationships. We, are, we have so many people who claim to be free but are enslaved to so many other things. But I'll tell you what, the more you know him, the more freedom you will experience. Here's why. Look at what Jesus said in John 8, 32. He said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. You know where sin and, and, and the, the, the bondages grab their power from? In ignorance, in lies, in deceit. It's when we believe those things that are not true, that then we become slaves. Some of you, you're addicted because you believe the lie that you can't be set free. That you can't live your life without whatever it is that you're addicted. Some of you you, 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 you can't heal, you can't love, you can't enjoy a good relationship because you've believed the life that you are incapable of being in a good relationship. And that's why Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And the truth is a person, Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the more you know him, 
the more you won't depend on the opinions or the acceptance of others and the more free you will be. Number three, the more you know him, the more you will grow. The more you will grow. Colossians 1.10 says the following, all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Hey, when God created you, the Bible says that every single one of your days was written before him before one of those days happened. And the Bible says that God's plans for you are good plans. They're not plans for you to be miserable. They're not plans for you to be in shame. They're plans for you to grow, to become better, to reach your highest potential. And here's the thing. Listen to me. Without Jesus, you'll never be the best person you can be. Some of you think it's your spouse that's the problem. Have you ever considered what it's like to be married to you? Some of you think your kids are the problem. Have you ever considered what it's like to be parented by you? But listen, the more we know him, the more we know God, the more we will grow, the better we will become. You know what I always say? I, I, I say this all the time. I'm not the pastor that I'm going to be. I'm not yet the pastor that I'm fully going to be. I have not yet become the husband that I'm going to become. You know why I say that? Because I believe that I'm always going to be growing. And the more I know him, the more I will grow. Look at what Psalm says. Look, look, look at how Psalm describes the growth of those that know God. Psalms 92, through 12 through 14 says, But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain what? Vital and green. So how about it? Where is it that you need life? Because Jesus came to offer life. The passage that we read where Jesus says, I have the keys of the kingdom, is in the context where Jesus is with his disciples. And he tells his disciples, hey, who do, you, who do the people say that I am? And some of the disciples say, well, they say that you're a prophet, that you're a good teacher, and they say this and that. But then Jesus moves to this question. He says, who do you say that I am? And they were all quiet, except for one. And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, he said, you are who you claim to be. You were sent from above. You are the son of God. You want to know something? The most important question in life that you'll answer is that question. Who is Jesus to you? If today you believe that he is the resurrection and the life, you'll not only experience forgiveness, but you'll receive new life. And when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life and anyone who believes in me will never die. And even after dying, what he's talking about is that when we cease to live in this earth, we will go to live with him. In fact, that's when we'll really start living. Did you know that? Because it is in heaven 
where we won't have to deal with sickness. We won't have to deal with pain. We won't have to deal with... Listen, heaven is so good. There's no marriage in heaven. I'm joking. I'm joking. But see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Don't miss this. The key to heaven, the key to life is Jesus. I want to invite you to bow your head right there where you are. We're going to sing a song. And I believe that God is going to continue to speak to you and minister to you. And I want you to listen to the song. If, if you want to understand the lyrics, you can read the lyrics on the screen. And I want you to hear the invitation that he's making to you today. Jesus to forgive you and be your Lord and give you life. And today is the day to do that. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to come to the front. But we do want to encourage you. Would you take that decision? 
whether you're watching online or you're in the chapel, if that's you this morning and you say, I want life, I want forgiveness, and I want life, I'm coming to Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare Him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart, and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but He didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in Him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Day Spring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.